0: Hey, you're listening to Play Me a Recipe. I'm Francis Lam, host of the radio show The Splendid Table, and I'm also a cookbook editor at Clarkson Potter and, dear lord, a food writer for over 15 years. And today we're going to make a recipe for what I like to call Chinese-American Thanksgiving meatballs. The recipe is linked in the show notes if you need to refer to it, but otherwise we'll just be getting our ingredients, searing, mixing, rolling, poaching, all of it right here together. Feel free to pause or jump back if you need a little more time or to check the recipe, but here we go. So this recipe came about as kind of a homage, I guess you'd call it, to my screwed up childhood. (laughs) Well, my parents came from China, Hong Kong specifically, and I was born here, so when I was growing up, you know, was the sort of common story of culture clash between the kid raised in America and the parents who came to America. And, you know, I grew up with Chinese food and whatever my parents could preserve of their culture in our home. But I also went to an almost entirely white school and was just always feeling like, why doesn't my family, you know, wear cardigans and drink hot cocoa around a fireplace and play board games? Like, Families on TV and every year when Thanksgiving would roll around it was me whining over and over why don't we have turkey like normal people? My parents were like uh because turkey is dry and terrible like why should we make ourselves eat turkey? Like I don't understand why we'd do that but I whined so much about it every year that one year my mom finally relented And she said, okay, you're going to have turkey on Thanksgiving this year. And I was so excited for it that when I got to the dinner table, like I didn't even really get suspicious when there was still like the usual rice and vegetables and you know, whatever other normal dishes would be in a Chinese meal on the table. And then my mom goes over the oven and takes out a platter and takes the foil off the platter. And it was Literally slices of turkey she got from the deli counter at the supermarket. (laughs) Which, you know, was totally deflating. Like, I'll never be normal. Thanks, Mom. Mm -hmm. But obviously now is hilarious. And the reason I make turkey into meatballs is because on another Thanksgiving, my parents took us on vacation and, you know, they were cheap. So we always flew on Thanksgiving Day. So another not normal thing, right? And, but when we got to where we're going for our, you know, ostensible Thanksgiving dinner. In order to make up for it, my mom brought along my absolute favorite food in the world back then, a huge order of meatballs from Pizza Hut. You know, she always wanted to do right by us, even if none of us really knew what that meant all the time. So this recipe is for turkey meatballs made with a little ground pork and mushrooms, like in the style of a Chinese dumpling filling. And we cook it in a Chinese style tomato sauce with ginger and scallion. Okay, so for this recipe, you're going to need a little vegetable oil, uh, about a quarter pound of stemmed fresh shiitake mushrooms, a full bunch of scallions, seven, count them, seven garlic cloves, a little chicken stock, just about a quarter cup, not a whole lot, some oyster sauce, some sesame oil, sugar, and good old diamond crystal kosher salt. If you have Morton kosher salt, use about a third less of the amount I'll call for in the steps, but mostly it's to taste anyway, so don't sweat it. Oh, and you're going to need, obviously, a half pound of ground pork, and a pound of our star, ground turkey. Get dark meat if you have a choice. Prove my parents wrong, turkey can be delicious. Also for tools, very simple. You know, knife, cutting board, all that stuff. And just a large saute pan. I actually like to use a cast iron skillet, but your call. And like a braising pan, a stock pot or a soup pot or a rondo. Um, A few mixing bowls, small, medium and large, and a soup spoon. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is we're just going to work on dicing our vegetables. There's not a whole lot of my fork, but just a little bit. So I have about a quarter pound of stemmed shiitake mushrooms, the fresh kind. Now, if you were being traditional about this and using shiitakes for a Chinese dumpling filling, they would almost always be dried mushrooms, actually. I never saw a fresh shiitake mushroom growing up, and we ate these a lot. But the dried mushrooms are a little bit richer in flavor, they have a more depth, and actually after you reconstitute them, they get a little bit of a bouncier texture, but fresh mushrooms are easy to find in the US in stores, so we're just gonna go with that. And, you know, we're gonna sear them later to give it a little more depth, but, you know, nothing about this dish is traditional, so it's fine, we'll just do whatever we want. If you can't get shiitakes, no sweat, just use a quarter pound of whatever mushroom you can get. And we're just gonna cut them into, I don't know, about somewhere between a quarter and a half inch dice. Really not a big deal. I love mushrooms. I know not everyone does. It's okay, you can be wrong about your choices in life. But um, most people who don't like mushrooms, it's about the texture and they don't like the sponginess. And I say to them, well, have you tried really like searing them hard and really cooking them well? Cause that takes a lot of that sponginess out and gets them crisp and delicious and beautiful. But sometimes when I handle a raw mushroom like this, You do hear like a styrofoam-like squeak, and I kind of understand what they're talking about. There is something a little bit like, that's not going in my body. Okay, here we go. Mushrooms are all chopped. Again, you can't see them, so I'm going to tell you they were a perfect quarter-inch dice. But the reality is some are half-inch, some are quarter-inch, and it's fine. We're going to live. The Chinese will still be there. The Americans will still be there. Thanksgiving will still be there and we're still gonna keep cooking. Okay, so next we're gonna get to our scallions, a whole bunch, I mean that literally, like a full singular bunch, not just like a lot. And with scallions, I don't know, you know, some people say like white parts, green parts, separate, the scallion's a scallion. The whole thing is a scallion. I don't understand why there's like this intense need to like be a segregationist about your scallions and you have to keep the whites and greens separate. Like they're all friends, they're all people. It's fine, let's keep them all together. So I'm gonna take this whole bunch of scallions. If chopping the whole bunch of scallions is a little bit too much for you, like maybe it feels too much to just deal with in your hand, that's totally okay. Um, Speed things up. I like to cut them in half and then like scoop the green part back down to the white part so you're just not having to make as many cuts. And here you go. How's that sound? Sounds good, right? Sounds like I know what I'm doing. You don't see them bouncing all over the place and landing in my eyes, ears, face. That's all chopped. And what we're gonna do actually with this whole bunch is, like I said, I believe the whites and greens can be used together, almost in all scenarios. So I'm just gonna kinda toss them together on my cutting board. And then I'm gonna, I will not separate the whites and greens, but I'm gonna take about a quarter cup of the scallions, put that into a little ramekin. That's gonna go into our meatballs later. I'm gonna take about, I don't know, two tablespoons or whatever, something like that. Just enough for garnish at the end, just a little nice green freshness at the end. And then the rest, I'm gonna put into a bowl. And that is going to be part of the base of our tomato sauce. The tomato sauce is really delicious, really super easy. I'm gonna talk about it later. I won't, not too many spoiler alerts now, but, um, but you will want a fair amount of scallions for it. Okay, what's next? Ginger. And this is pretty much it, just one more thing. So ginger, I have about a one and a half, two inch piece of ginger. Doesn't really matter, you like more, use more. You don't love it as much, uh, use a little less. I like to peel the ginger completely honestly. I don't think it's always necessary to peel ginger, but I just kind of do, I don't really know why. But I have a really easy way to do it too. You grab a spoon, just a teaspoon. You don't have to use a peeler or a knife. And the skin of ginger is so fine and so thin just go ahead and hold the ginger in your hand, hold the spoon in your other hand and just kind of scrape the ginger and the peel should come right off. What you really want is ginger that feels still kind of like wet when you do this. Ginger can last a super long time in your fridge or sometimes just in a room. We always just kept it under the sink because we went through so much of it. We didn't really have to stress about preserving it for a long time, but it does tend to dry out after a while. So ideally you still want it kind of fresh and juicy. So once it's peeled, Cut it into thin slices against the grain. You can see that there's fibers in the ginger. It'll be pretty obvious to you what the grain is like. It's, you're gonna cut it the way like the ginger wants you to cut it, meaning like length, I'm gonna cut it through the length and you'll see that the little fibers are, are being sliced. So slice it kind of as thinly as you can, but again, don't go crazy. You don't really have to because what you're gonna do is pile it right back up. Scrape it all back together. Run it through with your knife again. I don't know, maybe it's like ASMR and makes you fall asleep and takes your mind off the election and all that stuff. So we have our seven cloves of garlic also. So, I mean, I really know how to tell you how to cut garlic, right? You know how to do that. Taking off that peel. now whenever a recipe says a clove of garlic, like what does that really mean? Because some of this garlic is huge and some of it is small. Usually in my mind, I think of a a clove of garlic as being like a solid medium sized clove. If you have two small ones, maybe that equals a medium one. You have a large one, maybe that equals one and a half, two medium ones. But for the most part, it's like, you know, cooking is just about you. It's about your vibe, what you like. Don't stress out about the number of cloves of garlic you have. I mean, generally speaking, you want it to sort of match the flavor profile that the recipe writer was going for. If they say eight cloves of garlic, and you're like, I only have two, you know, maybe that's fine. Or maybe if that's like a featured flavor, maybe it's time to make something else until you have more garlic. But for the most part, if you're like, you know, plus minus 30%, 50%, like no one's feelings need to be hurt here. Okay, garlic's peeled. Go ahead and Run your knife through all those nice cloves of garlic. Oh, that's the sound of my nice janky refrigerator. We call her Bess. We don't really call her Bess, but she's loud. So she is sort of like a character in our home. Just keep chopping the garlic. You want it pretty fine, but really don't stress about it. You definitely don't want like big giant chunks in that a lot of this is gonna go into the meatball mixture and so you just want that to be able to spread around nicely. And you don't want to have to have like, oh, this meatball had a giant half clove of garlic in it. But if you just kind of run your knife through the pile on your cutting board, I don't know, maybe like three, four full passes, five, six, whatever floats your boat, you're gonna be okay. I like it, again, pretty small. Smaller than BB's, but you don't have to, you know, pulverize it. Okay, so now we're gonna sear off these mushrooms. Here I am at my stove. That sound you just heard was my igniter not really wanting to go off until it incinerates my eyebrows, but I survived it. Thank you for your thoughts and prayers. Like I said, you can use a saute pan here. I just have like a a 10-inch cast iron skillet. I like cast iron for this. Only because, you know, cast iron and skillet to have a really flat bottom and like a saute pan, a frying pan have a more sloped, curved edge, which is great for tossing and stuff like that. But in this case, I want more of the mushrooms to contact the bottom of the pan. So a nice flat bottom with straighter sides seems to work well here, but doesn't really matter that much. It's fine. Get your pan nice and hot. I'm doing it over like a medium, medium high. You know, when I used to be a cook in restaurants, Everything was high heat. I started to think the only like cool way to cook was to cook everything over high heat. And it turns out at home, like you don't really need to do that. Most things you can do a medium, medium, high. In fact, you probably want to because you want to give it time. And a super high heat can make it scorch rather than brown. So I'm just doing this over a medium heat. Here's about two tablespoons of vegetable oil into the pan. And you just kind of hang out. I'm going to get a little... Spoon. Okay, so when I am cooking and I want to sear something, actually most any time I want to get something into hot oil, the way I check for the oil is you actually look at it. You'll start to see it sort of dance, like the heat will actually want to move the oil around a bit. And as the oil gets hot, it gets a little thinner. It gets a little more um, fluid, so it wants to flow a bit. So if the oil starts to flow easily in your pan and... Usually, if I'm editing or writing recipes, I'll say, like, wait for the oil to shimmer. And um, that just kind of means, like, if it's starting to look like it's really dancing around and, yeah, just sort of catching the light in a different way just because the heat is making it sort of move, That's it's usually at a pretty good temperature. With mushrooms, I might take it a little bit hotter than that. You know, I don't need it to be smoking hot for this small amount of mushrooms, but uh, it's not a terrible idea. You just don't want it to smoke for too long because then it starts to taste really smoky and... Gnarly. Okay, so my oil is really pretty, like fluid. It really wants to flow around right now. The heat is definitely making it dance a bit. And here comes the mushrooms. Now notice what you're hearing. You're hearing a nice sort of mellow sizzle And what you're not hearing is me being all cool guy line cook and throwing the pan and slapping the pan around and tossing everything everywhere and scraping it with my spoon. Just kind of like gently push the mushrooms around so they all, most of them anyway, are touching the bottom of the pan. If you want to be super OCD about it, you can sit there and make sure every single mushroom is flat against the pan with a little room around it. But we're fine. The mushrooms are pretty spaced out. They're not piled on top of each other. It was just enough to fit the bottom of the pan without having to really do that much. So I think they're in pretty good shape. Just kind of let them sear for about a minute. Maybe two. I'm also not seasoning them right away. Usually, when I put things in a hot pan, I will want to season them with salt pretty soon after they go in. I've been rethinking that a lot lately. I've been rethinking like when to season. You definitely want to season when food is hot because what happens is when it starts to cool, uh, when things are hot, they expand, right? They push outwards. Like they push steam out, they push the liquid out. And then when they start to cool back down, they suck back in. So, you definitely want to season food with salt while it's hot so that when it does cool, it sucks the salt back in and sucks the seasoning in. But especially with mushrooms, because mushrooms also tend to have a lot of water in them, if you season them right away, they start to exude that water. And then it just makes the bottom of the pan steamy rather than seary. And you just have to sit here until it cooks all the water off before it starts to sear again, which is its own technique. There are people who really swear by that technique of searing mushrooms, getting all the water out and then letting it cook off. But in this case, again, I'm just searing them for a little bit of browning. I'm not cooking them all the way here. Or this is not the only cooking that we're gonna get, so I don't care if there's a little bit of water left in them. Okay, now I'm, I'm seeing some like nice brown edges around the sides, even without flipping things, so I'm gonna go give it a little toss. A little scrape with a spoon. And obviously if you're scraping and tossing, um, you're not gonna flip every single mushroom over. Some mushrooms will still stay on the one brown side and keep browning on that side. Again, not the hugest deal in the world. You just want to give it another minute to sear the other side if most of your mushrooms have landed on their, on their non-brown sides. But this is a nice color. It's not super dark. It's like a, what do I call it? It's like chestnut brown. It's not like a dark, dark brown. Now, if you're like a really a super hardcore like flavor hound, you can keep going here, but I'm happy. Little bit of salt now, just before you take it out of the pan. Okay, just into a bowl or onto a plate, let them cool down. Okay, now we're gonna mix up our marinade. It's very, very simple. Take your oyster sauce, that's two tablespoons. Get yourself a little spoon, just to get that oyster sauce. Make sure you get all of it if you have it pre-measured. Or if not, just go ahead and put that in a small bowl. Got oyster sauce. The really good stuff, which frankly is not the easiest stuff in the world to find, is actually made from oysters. It's actually made by sun drying oysters and then like cooking them down and it gives you just really beautiful briny flavor. It doesn't taste fishy, it shouldn't taste super fishy. Just incredibly super dark and sweet and umami. Okay, so you have the Oyster sauce, you have one tablespoon of sesame oil. Four teaspoons of sugar. I use two teaspoons of diamond crystal kosher salt here. Again, if you have Morton's, I would go maybe more like a teaspoon and a half, just cause that's a, a denser, saltier salt. Stir those things together. Now add about a quarter cup of chicken stock. If you don't have chicken stock, go ahead and use water. You might want to add a little more salt, maybe a little more oyster sauce for a little more seasoning and depth, but really that amount of liquid is actually more for working into the meat to make the meat juicy. It's sort of a funny technique. It's not a technique that I've seen much in Western cooking. It was really something I learned in Chinese cooking, specifically in dumpling filling making, where you actually kind of like beat water, or in this case, chicken stock, into ground meat. And the ground meat can actually, it's almost like it forms gluten and holds it like a dough does. But stir that to make it all nice and blended. All right, let's move. Okay, so now you have your mushrooms. They're cooked, they're cooling. You season them with a couple of pinches of salt. Just go ahead and taste one. Tastes good? If not, another pinch of salt. There you go. doesn't have to be super, super crazy, salty or well-seasoned. And into that, add your like quarter to half cup of chopped scallions from before. Go ahead and add three of the minced garlic cloves. Um, Obviously, you put all the garlic cloves together. They're all mixed up. So, I mean, whatever. There were seven total, you want three of them. So about half, a little less than half. Usually to me, three cloves of minced garlic is about a tablespoon maybe a little bit more. So you can go ahead and mix that up with your mushrooms. You don't really even need to do this. You can mix it right into the um, meat mixture, but I like to do it with the mushrooms and warm so the mushrooms can absorb some of the flavor of the garlic and scallions too, but it's just a little tip, not a huge deal. Now we're gonna make the meatball mixture, and this is a super cool technique. I'm super psyched to not actually show you how it's done, But but I think you'll figure it out. Okay, so in a large mixing bowl, add your half pound of ground pork. Now add your pound of ground turkey. I hope you like getting really closely acquainted with your meat because this is going to be extremely intimate and highly sensual. Okay, so you have that meat together and you can go ahead and fold it together with a spoon if you like, sort of delaying the inevitable If you just jamming your hands in there and getting all cozy with it but just kind of start to blend the two together. Don't work it too hard now, but don't be too stressed. I know a lot of times when you're making like meatloaf filling or burgers, there's a lot of recipes be like, oh, don't overhandle it. Your children will hate you forever. In this case, you don't have to worry about it because you're going to intentionally overhandle it. And I'll tell you why in just a second. Okay, the meat is kind of folded together. So all that marinade you made in that little bowl, go ahead and pour it in. So it looks like, Francis, I'm making meatballs. Why did you just make me drown all this meat? So what you're gonna do is you're gonna get into this meat mixture with all that marinade, all that liquid, hold your hand as if you're holding a softball, like a big ball in your hand. So you have like a big extended claw. Just put it into the meat and start to mix the meat, okay? As you're mixing it, kind of do it gently at first, a little slowly, you don't want to splash that liquid around too much. But as you do it, you'll start to see that it's incorporating into the meat a little. You're fine to you know, quote unquote over mix it by Western standards, but you'll start to feel the meat get a little stickier, a little tougher. It's not sliding around as much. And what you're actually doing is it's very similar, like I was saying before, it's very similar to developing gluten in a bread dough and you're actually creating the protein, you know, in the meat rather than the gluten in the flour, is forming nets and it's absorbing that liquid. And you can tell because it starts to get sticky and starts to get a little harder to work. You gotta use your muscles a little bit. When I was trained to do this by a Chinese chef, she actually had this technique where you would lift the whole thing out of the bowl and slap it back in. Again, more that sort of action That's sort of like intense, almost like violent mixing. You don't have to do that. I just don't get that much of a chance to do it, so I'm gonna do it. Also, uh, it might spray raw meat all over your kitchen, so your call. But uh, it's a very satisfying feeling, and when you get the meat to a point where it's quite tacky and sticky, you can stop. And over a course of time, if you do this technique more and more, you'll, you'll get a sense of how tacky and sticky you'll want it. It will get somewhat tougher, but I like that texture a little bit. I like the sort of bounciness in a dumpling filling or in a meatball sometimes. If you're like super into very tender meatballs that fall apart, you know, do it less. This is where you add your own sort of vibe to it. Okay, so my meat is pretty sticky, pretty tacky. It's not crazy, but it does feel like a loose bread dough. And this is when I will add the mushrooms, the scallions, that mixture. Just kind of fold it together. You can do it with your hands, with a spoon. Let it hang out. And at this point, if you'd like, especially if you used a salt other than diamond crystal and you're not sure if you used the right amount of salt or not, you can go ahead and take a little pinch of it, of the meat mixture, Just microwave it, taste the seasoning. And if you want more sweetness, you want more salt, want more oyster sauce, whatever, go ahead and you can stir that in. And when you're happy, go ahead and let it marinate. You can put it back in the fridge. I would cover it because it's raw meat. Four hours for me is sort of a sweet spot, but I've also cooked it right from this state and it's also pretty tasty. So I'm gonna let this marinate for a while. I like to let it hang for a bit since I have time because I'm at home and all I got is time. I might read a book, do some dishes, clean up, you know, that kind of thing. I'll uh, talk to you after the break. Hey, and we're back. Just to remind you, if you're like, who is this strange man talking to me in my headphones? I'm Francis Lamb, host of The Splendid Table, cookbook editor at Clarkson Potter. And we're in the middle of making my Chinese American Thanksgiving meatballs recipe. It was originally published in Cooking Light. And as a reminder, it's linked in the show notes. The recipe is. We're going to go through the whole thing right here. Feel free to pause, jump back if you need a little more time. And we're coming back to the recipe, the point where we've made the meatball mix, let it marinate, and we're gonna make the Chinese-style tomato sauce they're gonna poach in. So let's take our scallions. If you already set aside the two tablespoons for garnish before, great, leave them aside. Uh, if you haven't, take two tablespoons them and set them aside. So you should have like, I don't know, maybe like, what's this look like? About a cup, cup and a half of chopped scallions. And do yourself a favor and go ahead and open your can of tomatoes now. Because once we get to the stove, things get pretty fast. It's a very, very quick, very, very easy tomato sauce. I call it Chinese style because, well, two reasons. One is because we start with what I think of as one of the sort of like Chinese mirepoix or like the holy trinity of Chinese cooking, which is GGS, ginger, garlic, and scallion all minced up pretty fine. Going to get that bloomed in some oil. And then we're just going to add these tomatoes and just let it simmer down. It's as easy as that. The other reason why I wanted to poach the meatballs in this sauce is this is actually how I make essentially the base for a different dish that was really, really, really um, super common Chinese home cooking dish, super home style, nostalgic dish for me um, when I was growing up, which is you basically make that sauce and then you take a whole bunch of eggs, scramble them really, really beautifully in a really hot pan until they're just cooked, usually seasoned with a little bit of sesame oil. And I like to add a little splash of Chinese cooking wine. And then you finish them in this sauce also. And that's a Chinese tomato and egg stir fry that we eat with rice. And it was always like the go-to meal in my house growing up and is now my go-to meal for my family as I'm feeding them. Anyway, okay, let's get to the stove. I have a, what I call a rondo, or you might call it a braising pot, like a little six quart pan, sort of wider than it is tall. I'm gonna get it pretty good and hot. Okay, and next to the stove, I'm gonna set up really quickly. I have three tablespoons of olive oil, the four teaspoons-ish of minced ginger from before, the rest of the minced garlic from before, and all those scallions. I'm gonna throw that oil, not throw, pour. Throwing oil is a terrible idea, never do it. To the pot. In this case, I'm gonna wait for that oil to get hot enough to just lightly smoke. The reason is, it's not a ton of oil, and there is a lot of raw scallion and ginger and garlic, and you want to actually bloom the flavors of those things, and part of that is oil to infuse and to carry that flavor through, and part of it is heat, and the oil will carry the heat um, to heat those things through. Take that raw edge off, get them nice and aromatic before you add the tomatoes. You could certainly add more oil if you want. With this amount of tomatoes, it's not a bad idea. It won't make it greasy. It'll give it a little more richness, but. I don't know. I wrote it with three tablespoons, so now it's three tablespoons. Could be four, could be five, could be two. You do you. So I'm starting to see a little bit of smoke. A light smoke, as my friend Hugh Atchison calls it. Go in with your garlic. Stir. Now I say in the recipe, wait 15 seconds. You don't have to wait 15 seconds. If you, if, just keep an eye on it. If you start to see some browning in the garlic, Within the 15 seconds, you can go ahead and add the next thing. I don't want you to burn your garlic. A lot of it depends on how small you chop the garlic and really fine garlic will burn. Okay, so that's a little brown. Here goes my minced ginger. Stir that up. Get it good and cozy with the oil. And my scallions. So again, what you're doing here your. you're um, In Cantonese, we call this bao, which means to explode. So that's kind of what you're doing. You want to get a sort of like really intense heat on these aromatics, bring out their aroma. And because we're not working with, you know, like a a hardcore walk burner or in a wok or whatever, I will cook this for a little bit longer than um, you would in a traditional Chinese recipe. Again, just to like cook off that rawness, but get that like nice, beautiful, aromatic flavor, but not really try to brown it. um, Cause that, whatever, brown things are delicious, but it's just not the flavor I'm going for here. You still want the flavor to be pretty fresh. The ginger to be kind of fresh and bright, the garlic to be fresh and bright, same with the scallions. So if I'm starting to see it start to brown again, I'm just going to go ahead and add that can of tomato. So it's going to take this a minute to come back up to temperature. You want to bring it to a simmer. That didn't take long at all. I'm going to add a few pinches of salt. Stir it in. Give it a taste. Pretty good. Pretty good with salt. Maybe another pinch, because I also want to add a little bit of sugar. Tomatoes are always sweet and sour in different proportions. So give it a taste, and obviously it's to whatever you like. For me, what I'm looking for is, because I do think of this as a Chinese-style tomato sauce, the sweetness should be not super sweet, not like, wow, I'm eating dessert, obviously, but like with enough sweetness to be a little bit prominent, like where you can tell it's part of the mix. And then balance that out with a little more salt. Yum, yum. Okay, now turn the heat down to like a pretty mellow simmer. Cover it. And you want that to cook for about 15, 10, 15 minutes to blend the flavors. If you're using canned diced tomatoes and they're still kind of stiff, you want them to soften out a little bit and um, really bring all that stuff together. So while the sauce is simmering, this is a great time to make your little meatballs. I don't know how you feel about you know, perfectly formed meatballs. I don't care. Like I don't need them to be perfectly formed. I just grab a big spoon, like a soup spoon, go into the mixture, maybe just enough to be like, you know, ping pong ball size, maybe a little bit bigger, maybe like an inch and a half wide, scoop it. And then I do like to roll it a little bit in my hands. Again, you're like activating the protein a little bit to get it to stick together. It should be sort of like smooth and glossy looking. And there you go. You can just make a bunch of these while you're waiting for that sauce to cook. I think with about a pound and a half of meat, you should have about, 24 of these little guys by the time you're done. Now, I have um, in my production notes, very helpfully from the wonderful Coral, a question, a guiding question for me to talk to you about while I'm doing this so it's not just dreadfully boring listening to me for meatballs. And one of these questions is, what does your family think of this recipe now? And um, the reality is I have never made (laughs) this dish for the family I grew up with, i.e. my brothers and my parents. Um, they would probably be like, it tastes pretty good, but I don't know why you're using turkey when you just use pork, which, you know, some people don't change. But <laughs> And, you know, we have that sort of family where we love each other dearly. We don't talk that much. We're not, like, super sentimental as a family. If I told them this story, they might think it was, you know, I think they would think it was cute, it was sweet, and they'd be like, what's actually for dinner? <laughs> but, you know, I do have to say, sometimes when I make this and I tell this story, I like this dish, don't get me wrong. I think it's a good recipe. But man, I miss those old Pizza Hut meatballs. <laughs> they were so good. They were so good. And, you know, I'm sure they were, you know, this was in the 80s. I don't know, maybe they weren't made of horrible, horrible things yet. Like maybe science had not caught up and, like, told them how to make completely, you know, unreal food yet. But I just remember having this, like, I don't know what it is. There are certain foods that are delicious when they're real but are also super delicious when they're like the fake processed food version of that food. You know what I'm talking about? Like, let's face it, like, yes, a beautifully breaded piece of chicken that you've pan fried is great. But like, look, a chicken nugget made by, you know, some awful conglomerate is also really delicious. And it has like its own kind of deliciousness that you just can't make at home because they have access to the latest technology to make that weird kind of deliciousness. Yeah, so that's what I think those meatballs were. It was like my first introduction to like the glories of the industrial meatball. Okay, so I am nearing the end of my meatball rolling adventures, and I have 12, 16, 20. So I made them a little bit bigger than I meant to. (laughs) I was supposed to make 24, but you know, we'll live. Okay, so it's been about 15 minutes that the sauce has been simmering. Man, that smells good. (laughs) Oh man, that smell will always get me the ginger, garlic, scallion, and tomato. It just, thanks, Ma. God, it's just really perfuming my entire kitchen right now. And so what you wanna do when you lift off the pan lid is you wanna make sure it's still pretty juicy. If you need to add a little water, go ahead and do that. You don't want it like soup, but you don't want it like thick marinara. You want it somewhere in between. You want it to have enough juiciness to poach the meatballs in. What you also really want to do is you want to give it another taste now, because now that it's cooked down, you want to see how the seasonings have matched up. If you need a little more sugar. I'm gonna add a little bit more to this. And then what you're gonna do is you're gonna scoop those nice little meatballs. Just place them in the pot. If you're using like a Dutch oven or something like that, you know, you should have a pretty good amount of surface area to lay these meatballs in. Nestle them into that sauce. And what you really kind of don't want is for them to sit on, literally sit on top of one another. If there's like a little bit of squish, you know, all fully submerged in exactly the same way, that's kind of fine. I actually managed to get mine to fit, turn some of them up on their sides because they're a little bit flat. And now it's like a very gentle burble. and That's kind of what I want. I'm gonna recover it. I write to cook these for about 10 to 12 minutes, you're just kind of poaching them. Uh, What I'm going to do is set the timer for five and come back in, see how they're looking, maybe flip, because they're not all fully submerged. So maybe give them a little turn um, and see how they go then. So it's been five minutes. I'm going to take the cover, the lid off still a really nice gentle burble which is exactly what you want for heat yeah these babies are poaching along nicely i'm gonna give them a gentle flip just to make sure the bottom it's the same kind of cooking as the top now they're not going to be beautifully browned balls if that's kind of what you are expecting they're going to be pretty light colored you know because they're turkey and because they're poached, but I think the texture is really beautiful. And I have to tell you, like, yeah, I love a fried dumpling as much as the next person, but people need to get with the steamed dumpling. They're so beautiful. They're so smooth. It's just like a totally different experience. And I know like frying food, like makes it automatically delicious, pan frying in that case. But you know, next time you have an option of steamed versus fried dumpling, try and order the steamed. so I'm gently flipping all these meatballs. You know what I'm gonna actually do? I'm gonna finish the poaching here with the lid off. The meatballs themselves will give off some juice. I'm gonna finish the cooking with the lid off to let it reduce a little bit too. So now it's been 12 minutes that they've been poaching. I'm gonna poke them with a thermometer because I'm like that. And they're perfect, they're 170, 180. 170, 180 is sort of like really the safe temperature. You know, a little bit less, it's a little more tender if you're into that. Um, let's give these a taste. God, it smells good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, do you get that? You're tasting the meatball, do you get that bounciness? Again, it's not like the really soft pillowy meatballs that you would make an Italian style with like breadcrumbs and soaked bread and all that stuff. These should be bouncy. They should have that little chew just like a really good pot sticker filling. And with like the sweetness of the aromatics and the sweetness of the tomatoes. And you know, for me, like this is a dish that I did not grow up with obviously, but like it just sends my memory into like four different places. God, and you don't have those memories and that's okay. But I hope you love this dish as much as I do. Also, if you look at the sauce at the end and you feel like, oh, it's a little bit too soupy for you, a little too loose, go ahead and scoop the meatballs out and bring it up to a boil and reduce it or Make a little cornstarch slurry like you're really making Chinese food. Stir it in there, cook it, and like thicken it just a little bit to like almost like a gravy texture. Oh man, I really loved making these with you today. I hope you enjoyed making them with me and sending me in all these weird nostalgic places, but for you, hopefully it's just a tasty dish. Again, you'll find the recipe on the show notes and on food52.com. They're called Chinese American Thanksgiving meatballs. Thanks for joining me. I'm Francis Lam. This is Play Me a Recipe. Happy cooking to you and yours. If your kid tells you they just want to be normal tell them they already are.